We're uh, launching right into our lesson this morning. Can you believe we are in lesson number five already? Exiles as missionaries. And we're studying biblical missionaries this quarter and learning uh, a few things about how God can, has, how He has used people in the past uh, to bring a knowledge of God and His truth of salvation to others and how God wants to use us in the same way today. And uh, you may be looking at this particular lesson today and saying to yourself, what, what on earth, how is this going to be, how is this applicable to me? How is this going to benefit me in any way? I'm not an exile. I'm certainly not an exile. Well, let's, let's see if perhaps you might not be an exile as we continue in our lesson here this morning. Our memory text is taken from Daniel chapter 7, and we're going to be spending quite a bit of time in Daniel for the most part of the lesson, and then we'll close by uh, gleaning over and looking at some, briefly looking at some other exiled missionaries. But Daniel chapter 7, verse 14, I'm reading from the New King James Version. It says, Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. Who's that speaking of? Speaking of Christ, isn't it? Jesus' uh, eternal kingdom. That's right. And uh, one day that kingdom is going to be established, and boy, we cannot wait for that to happen. Amen? cannot wait for Jesus' kingdom to be established. Now, go with me in your Bible to the book of Daniel, and it's just after Jeremiah and Ezekiel there, you've got <clears throat> Daniel, 12 chapters. The book of Daniel was written by Daniel, and it's not hard to figure that because Daniel's name is uh, spoken of all throughout the book, and if we trust Jesus then we can have confidence in knowing that the book of Daniel was actually written by Daniel. If you read Matthew 24, verse 15, Jesus, talking in the context of the last days, refers people to reading the prophecies written by Daniel the prophet, is what Jesus said. And so we can trust Jesus' word, and we know that Daniel was the one who wrote his own book. Um, and the book of Daniel, as you are aware, is a book that's filled with uh, what's essentially it's divided into two main parts. You've got uh, stories. The book of Daniel is filled with stories, Daniel's own personal experiences, and of course, the experiences of his, uh, his friends. And then, of course, you've got the prophecies. You've got the prophecies in the book of Daniel. As Seventh-day Adventists, we firmly believe in the imminent return of Jesus Christ. And uh, that the prophecies that are outlined here in the book of Daniel point in, the, in our direction to, to the end of time or to the time of the end. And uh, while it's important that we know the times in which we live, because if we know the times, then we'll be alert to what's going on around us. Uh, we'll also know what to do during those times, right? It's important to know the times, but equally important is knowing how to live during the times uh, the last days, you see. And that's what the stories in Daniel are designed to teach us, how to live in the last days, how to live uh, under certain duress and certain pressures. And, uh, and of course, in the book of Daniel, we have uh, strong encouragement that God will be with those who stand for Him. If you stand for Jesus, Jesus is going to stand for you. 
And that's the encouraging thing we read in the book of Daniel. One thing is clear as we read the book of Daniel, just as God used Daniel to witness to those who are stooped or steeped rather in ignorance, He wants to use me, you and me, in the same way today, in our world, in our context. So um, let's go to Sunday's lesson. Let's take a look and, uh, and get a little background here, the exile. Uh, Isaiah chapter 39, verses 5 through 7. Keep your finger there in Daniel. Let's just jump over to Isaiah chapter 39. And for those that don't know what Isaiah is, that's Isaiah. Isaiah, you've gotten used to me already though, I know. Isaiah chapter 39, and uh, we read verses 5 through 7. Notice what Isaiah the prophet warned Judah or Israel of. Notice, he said to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Now, when, when a prophet comes and says, hear the word of the Lord, you ought to sit up and pay attention. And so Hezekiah straightens up and the prophet says, behold, the days are coming when all that is in this house and what your fathers have accumulated, and he's referring to the temple and the, and the precincts of the temple, all the goods, all the treasures that are in this house, what your fathers have accumulated until this day shall be carried to where? Babylon. Shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And they shall take away some of your sons who will descend from you, whom you will beget, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon." And so we have the warning from Isaiah that one day, if Judah would not straighten up and smarten up, uh, if they wouldn't turn to God and, and, and flee from their idols, that one day they would be taken into Babylonian captivity. Now, at that particular time, Babylon was the uh, ruling nation, uh, at least a little bit later on here, just shortly after Isaiah. Assyria was the nation, and then shortly after that, Babylon rose to power. Uh, but all through his, through his prophets, God had warned His people that if they didn't turn their hearts from idols, and if they would turn their hearts toward God, then they would forfeit the divine protection and become subject to Babylon. So through Isaiah, through Jeremiah, through Ezekiel and others, uh, they warned Judah of impending doom. So uh, when these words were uh, when this actually happened, when Nebuchadnezzar came in, who was the king of Babylon at the time, when he came in the first time, King Jehoiakim was the actual king. And he was succeeded by Jehoiachin. So you have Jehoiakim and Jehoiachin. And then the last king of Judah was Zedekiah. These were the last three. They were all were to become vassals of King Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon. So, insisting on doing their own way, the words of Isaiah were fulfilled. And you can read that in 2 Kings chapter 24, verse 13. I'll just read that for you. It says, and he carried out, this is talking about Nebuchadnezzar, this is the first time he came, besieged Jerusalem, because God's people didn't get it. They didn't turn their hearts toward God in totality. So, what happened? He carried out from there all the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house, and he cut in pieces all the articles of gold which Solomon, king of Israel, had made in the temple of the Lord, as the Lord had said. So, did Isaiah's prophecy actually come to pass? Yeah. Now, all throughout the Bible, you're going to see the things that God says will happen actually do happen. That's called predictive prophecy. What's going to happen is, is this. Now, in this particular case, uh, this would be 
um, this would be prophecy that would be conditional because if God's people had actually turned their hearts to God in worship to Him and followed Him and, and obeyed Him, then these things wouldn't have happened. But because they didn't, then it was going to actually happen. And according to 2 Kings, we have the record that Babylon, that Ju- that Babylon came in in Judah, the people of Judah were taken captive. And if you read on in verses 14 down in 2 Kings chapter 24, you'll notice they carried away all the statesmen and all the, 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 uh, the, f- the flower of the youth, the, the king's seed. And it was in this particular uh, captivity or this besieging that Daniel was, and his friends were taken from their home to Babylon. As a matter of fact, three times Nebuchadnezzar came up against Judah and in the first besieging, Daniel and his friends were carried away captive. And when they were carried away, that began the 70-year captivity spoken of by Jeremiah the prophet. Jeremiah had told them in Jeremiah chapter 25 and verse 11 that you would be led into captivity and you would be there for a period of 70 years. And so when Nebuchadnezzar came upon Judah the first time, that's when the 70-year prophecy, or at least the 70-year captivity rather, began. So let's look at Daniel now. Let's go over to Daniel. That gives us a little background to uh, what was taking place. And this was happening around the time, during the time of uh, the, the early 7th century, late 6th century BC. So in Daniel chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, we read these words. And in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, which some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and he brought the articles into the treasure house of his God. And so here Daniel begins, starts out by talking about the captivity. And the reason for that is to give a little historical context so that those who would read it at the time Daniel recorded it and those who would read it after would know what was going on, the conditions taking place. You can always be sure that the, the promise of God found in 1 Samuel chapter 3, that those who honor God, God will honor in return. And so Daniel was among these captives that were taken to Babylon. And it was a long and it was a hard journey very difficult journey, and they made it to Babylon. You can only imagine what Daniel must have been feeling and experiencing, right? Uh, taken away, he was a young lad, he was about, uh, about 17 years of age, and he was taken from his home, and he was taken with his friends and other of the youth of Israel. It must have been very difficult for them. Let's, I want to take a look at a few verses here in Daniel, just a, a smattering of verses uh, that look at Daniel's example as a witness of, the, of the, 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 the creator God in the courts of Babylon. Someone has uh, Daniel chapter 6 and verse 4. We're going to come to you in just a moment, so Richard has that. Let's just go to Daniel chapter 1 verse 8 real briefly, and we'll flip around. We're going to go to several verses, then we'll come to Daniel 6 verse 4. Daniel 1 verse 8. So food, food, the king's food and the king's drink is brought to Daniel, and it says, Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, the requ- he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. And do you remember what happened? They qu- he questioned Daniel, are you sure you want to do this? I mean, you could be offending the king. And Daniel said, that's fine, go ahead and just give me pulse to eat and water to drink. Pulse would be uh, like vegetables and um, grains and berries, those types of things. And after 10 days, what was found? Daniel and his friends were 
were looking better than the others who weren't looking so good. They were eating the king's meat and drink and they uh, looked a little haggard still from their journey. But Daniel uh, was eating those foods and drinking that drink that would revitalize his weary body and his friends. And so uh, they were tested as well. And uh, after the three years, and they were found to be wiser, smarter than all of the others that uh, were in the realm. And so they were promoted to a very high position, you see. Daniel chapter uh, 5 and verse 12, just jump over there. Daniel 5 verse 12, another instance, Daniel 5, Daniel 5 is a story of Belshazzar and how he, uh, how he had this drunken feast, debauchery, and, um, and then there was a handwriting on the wall. In verse 12 it says, inasmuch as an excellent spirit, knowledge, understanding, interpreting dreams, solving riddles and explaining enigmas were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar, now let Daniel be called, and he will give the interpretation. So the, the king couldn't understand the writing on the hand. Well, you remember the story, and he called in Daniel. Daniel's reputation had gone before him. What's this telling you about Daniel and his witness? Pretty powerful, isn't it? He was a man, young man who was, uh, was honored, you see. And of course, he was getting a lot older by the time we come to Daniel chapter 5. Let's look at Daniel chapter 6, verse 4. Thanks, Richard. Daniel 6, verse 4. Then the presidents and princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find none occasion nor fault. For as much as he was faithful, neither was there any error or fault found in him. Now, how, thank you so much. How would you like it to be recorded of you that there was be no fault found in you? <laughs> I'm sure if someone looked close enough and hard enough in my life, they might find a few things they could scratch down. But when these guys looked, uh, when they looked at Daniel's life, they said, uh, man, we cannot find anything. What were they trying to do? They were trying to corner him. They were trying to trip him up. They were, trying to, uh, they were trying to do away with Daniel. They were essentially jealous of Daniel. But not, not, no fault could be found in his work, in, his, in the performance of his duties. And then in Daniel chapter 9, verses 3 through 19, we won't read it all, but there is recorded this, the prayer of Daniel. And it's a beautiful prayer. It's come, they've come to the end of the 70-year captivity. Daniel knows it. He knows the prophecies of Jeremiah. And he's praying to God, we've come to the end. Please let your people go back to their hometown, to their home country. Let them establish their country. And, uh, and Daniel doesn't say, we came into this predicament because they sinned. He said, we, ca we came into this predicament because we sinned. And he doesn't exclude himself. He includes himself in the transgression and identifies himself with his people, with God's people. And, uh, and shortly thereafter, God honors that prayer, and God's people are, be, uh, are loosed, freed to go back uh, to Judah and to Jerusalem. Daniel was essentially, from these verses, Daniel, what we can learn is Daniel was a, uh, a man of impeccable character. There's no doubt about that. He was a man of principle. He was a man of renown. In uh, Prophets and Kings... Uh, we're told in, on page 486 that true success in any line of work, because, you know, when you look at the story of Daniel, Daniel's, you wonder how did Daniel arrive at the positions of trust and responsibility he arrived at? He was a foreigner. He was an exile. How is it possible? Did God just simply favor him, uh, play favorites, and, uh, and, and, and place him in that position without any cooperation or help on the part of Daniel? No, Daniel had to put in some effort, didn't he? Had to, had to work hard. In, 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 on page 486 of Prophets and Kings, we're told that true success in any line of work is not the result of chance or accident or destiny. 
Now, I'm sharing this quote with us because we're talking about being exiles, missionaries in exile. And uh, there are times when you and I may not be exiled. We certainly wouldn't be exiled. We are here probably more so than by choice to be here in this country, in this city. But sometimes the place we work might feel like we are exiled. The place where we operate, our, our neighborhood perhaps, sometimes we feel like we're the only ones that perhaps are standing for truth and righteousness. We may even have friends that surround us, maybe in the, in the university that you attend. You feel like you're the only one who's following the Lord and being faithful to His Word, and perhaps at times you're ridiculed for your faith. And there are times where you feel like you're exiled. So how is it possible to stand up for truth, to have an impeccable character under adverse circumstances? How is it possible? Those that are watching today, you may be in a town, a place where you are there by yourself and there's no Adventist church, there's no Adventist, uh, Adventist presence except you. How do you deal with, how do you survive those surroundings? How do you manage that? So let me, let me continue reading. If we want to be successful missionaries for Jesus, she says, true success in any line of work is not the result of chance, accident, or destiny. It is, here, now list them down, it is the outworking of God's providences, the reward of faith and discretion, of virtue and perseverance. There it is. It is the outworking of God's providences, the reward of faith and discretion, of virtue and perseverance. Fine mental qualities and a high moral tone are not the result of accident. God gives opportunities. Success depends upon, success depends upon the use made of them. So there it is. The secret of success is God working and you working. Divine power, human effort, cooperating, working together. And God will help us, help you, wherever you might find yourself, in your family, when you have those family reunions, whether it be at your workplace or in the school that you're attending, your neighborhood. God will help you to be a person of principle, of renown, and of impeccable character as you let God work in your life and you work with Him. That's the secret of success, and I love that. I'd love to just spend more, more time on that, but let's move to Monday. He's an exile. Daniel's an exile. His friends are exiles. They are missionaries for God, and uh, God yet has, yet God has called them to be his witnesses. Daniel chapter 2. Let's take a look now. Daniel chapter 2. We're going to be looking at Daniel 2, 3, 4, and 5 in just a few moments. Can we do it? We'll see. All right, let's do it. Daniel chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Let's begin there. Now, in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams and his spirit was so troubled that his sleep left him. Then the king gave the command to call the magicians, the astrologers, the sorcerers, the Chaldeans to tell the king his dreams so that they, so they came and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I've had a dream and my spirit is anxious to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever, tell your servants the dream and we will give the interpretation." You know the story. Now, it, it's said that the ancients, they believed that the gods spoke to them through dreams. And so Nebuchadnezzar was troubled by this dream. A little later on, you come to realize that Nebuchadnezzar has been thinking about his kingdom, the future of his kingdom. And under those circumstances, God sends him a dream to talk about not only his kingdom, but also succeeding kingdoms, you see. God was seeking to speak to this man uh, through this dream. Now let's go jump down to verses 14 to 16. The wise men come in, they're not able to, uh, listen king, you tell us the dream, we'll give you the interpretation. The king gets mad, he realizes that they're, they're a farce, they're, they're fake, and uh, so he sends out a death decree. 
And Daniel gets a, hold, uh, gets a wind of it, and they're coming to look for Daniel and his friends because they're counted among the wise men. They're not, they're not ma- magicians or astrologers, but they're counted among the wise men, the counselors of the king, and their life is at, at, uh, at risk as well. Verse 14, then the council, then with counsel and wisdom, Daniel answered Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He answered and said to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree from the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the decision known to Daniel, verse 16. So Daniel went in and asked the king to give him time that he might tell the king the interpretation. Do you think it would take a little courage for Daniel to go in before the king to tell him that? I don't expect that he rushed in there and barged into his presence. He was escorted in, given permission, and Daniel stood before the king having confidence that his God had given King Nebuchadnezzar this dream to speak to him and to lead his heart to uh, the worship of the one true God, you see. And so Daniel sees that. He's aware of his situation. Sometimes we need to be very aware of how God is leading uh, in the lives of those around us, our family, our friends, our work colleagues, our schoolmates. We need to be aware of how God is leading them and be available and ready to give an answer in due season. And Daniel is ready. And he goes in before the king and he says, give us some time. And so he comes back, calls his three friends. They have a bit of a prayer meeting. They sing, they pray to God. In the night, God comes to Daniel in a dream and tells Daniel what King Nebuchadnezzar dreamed and gave him the interpretation. And so he comes before King Nebuchadnezzar and he tells him about, and you know the story, tells him about this great image that King Nebuchadnezzar saw, had a head of gold, chest and arms of silver, belly and thighs of brass, legs of iron, feet mingled with iron and clay. And then there was a stone cut out without hands that smote the image at the base of it and the whole image crumbled and that that stone became like a great mountain that covered the entire earth. And you can imagine how Nebuchadnezzar must have been feeling. Wow, that's it. That's exactly what I dreamed. That's exactly what I saw. He's becoming, beginning to become impressed with the God of Daniel. He's impressed with Daniel already. And it helps, it helps for God's witnesses, for others to be impressed with their lifestyle before they'll become impressed with their God. And so, uh, and so he becomes impressed with, this, with his God, hearing this. And then Daniel gives him the interpretation. And of course, in this interpretation, he outlines essentially the history of the world from Babylon until the time Jesus returns. That stone cut out without hands was symbolic of the return of Jesus and the establishment of his everlasting kingdom. There would be Babylon, that would fall, and then there would be Medo-Persia, it would rise, but it would fall. And then would be, come along the kingdom of, uh, of Grecia, and that would fall. And then would come Rome, and then that would be broken up and divided into essentially 10 elements, 10 kingdoms that we know of as modern Europe today, Western Europe. And then in the days of those kings, the God of heaven would set up his kingdom. Nebuchadnezzar was impressed. Look at verse 47. The king answered, this is how impressed he was. The king answered Daniel and said, truly your God is the God of gods, the king of kings and a revealer of secrets since you could uh, reveal this secret. Then the king promoted Daniel and gave him great gifts, and he made him chief administrator over all the wise men of Babylon. God was moving upon Nebuchadnezzar gradually, and it pays for us to always remember that that's how God works. He works with people where they are, and he leads them gradually step by step. Sometimes we get overly anxious, and we want to just dump the truth on an individual and say, here it is, you deal with it, and, uh, and, and God will help you, but we've got to take people step by step, uplifting Jesus, taking people point by point, helping them see the truth. And that's what God was doing with Nebuchadnezzar. The king's attention was arrested. 
and conversion was soon to come. We'll get there. So God used the telling of the dream and its interpretation and Daniel's character and his courage to turn the king toward the God of heaven. That's what, that's what God was doing here. You notice it was a prophecy. It was essentially a prophecy that God gave to Nebuchadnezzar. Here's what's going to happen from this point forward. And as Nebuchadnezzar saw it unfold before his eyes, he was to, his faith was to be more grounded and established in the Word of God, and, the, and his faith was to be more, more uh, firm and trusting in the God of the prophecy, you see. Well, the story doesn't end. Let's continue looking here. Daniel chapter 3, and we're going to look at several verses here. Uh, verse 1, Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold. He didn't like the dream that, uh, uh, that, uh, that God had shared with him. Uh, he got to thinking about that a little bit and said, hang on a second, there's going to be another kingdom arise after mine. I don't like that. And I know that it was uh, the successive medals, inferior one, one after the other. But instead of making a statue like that, I'm going to make one that's of, of gold entirely. I'm going to make a statue that's gold entirely. My kingdom will never end. In defiance to the God of heaven, he builds this image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and it's with six cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. So in defiance to the dream of Nebuchadnezzar, he set up this golden image in the plain of Dura, which ultimately he commanded his realm should bow before. But something happened. Something happened. He told everyone to bow. There was going to be the sound of the music and if they didn't bow down before the image, they were going to be thrown where? into the fiery furnace. I mean, you've you got to do this thing or your life's going to be in jeopardy, you see. But something happened. Notice verse 12. Then a certain Jew, then are, there are certain Jews. Someone came reporting to Nebuchadnezzar. They said, there are certain Jews, and how dare they? They're in exile. How dare they do this? There are certain Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not paid due regard to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold image which you have set up. And so Nebuchadnezzar calls them to his side. And we'll read, read the response that the, these three boys give to Nebuchadnezzar. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, verse 16, answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. They weren't being rude or disrespectful. They're just basically saying, we don't need time to think about how to answer you. We already have decided in our hearts, in our minds, how we're going to deal with this issue. We already know, verse 17, if, there is, if that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the fiery furnace and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the golden image which you have set up. Everyone bowed down except these three boys. They had some backbone, didn't they? They stood erect. While everyone was bowing down, and perhaps some were bowing down, pretending to tighten their, their, uh, their sandal strap, pretending they were bowing down before the image, but not these three boys. They said, no, we're not bowing down. All except Daniel's three friends paid homage to the statue. They stood erect, not in defiance of the king's command, but out of love and loyalty to God and his commands. And there's a big difference. Some people are standing in defiance just for the sake of standing in defiance. Don't like this law, don't like this thing, got to stand in defiance. No, they stood, didn't stand in defiance of the law. They stood in love and loyalty to the God of their God and his commands. It was because they were obedient to the first, second, first and second commandment that they would not bow. Powerful. Ultimately, the king was convicted, right? He was, ultimately, he was convicted. Look at verses 25 and 28. 
Daniel chapter 3. Uh, Verse 28, rather, Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him, and they have frustrated the king's words and yielded their bodies that they should not serve nor worship any god except their own god. And then he makes a decree and calls everyone to to worship their god, and if they don't, they'll be cut into pieces. He's still got some growing to do to Nebuchadnezzar, doesn't he? But he's more than impressed. He's more than impressed. He's now convicted. He's not converted yet, but he is convicted. Let's go to Daniel chapter 4. Daniel chapter 4. What's happening in Daniel chapter 4? King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, didn't he? Another dream. And God is speaking to this man. He's trying to get this man's heart. You've got to understand, we've got to understand, that where we are, where we find ourselves, God is, is doing everything possible to reach people for him. Sometimes we get discouraged. Sometimes we say, Lord, it's not working. No one's listening to me. Doesn't seem to be any movement, any change. Hang on a second. You've got to understand, I've got to understand, God is more in love with these people than you are and is working hard to save them, harder than you will and would. And he's working on Nebuchadnezzar, sends him another dream. He doesn't understand it. So guess who he calls in? Doesn't call Daniel first. Does he call Daniel first? No, he calls his wise men in. And then he said, okay, hang on, hang on, I've got to get this right now. Daniel, let me just call Daniel. He calls in Daniel. And, uh, and the story or the dream he had was basically of a great tree, which was Nebuchadnezzar. All the birds of the heaven came and flocked and they found nourishment and shade. And then the tree was cut down and it would, uh, it would be watered with the dew of heaven for a period of seven years. The Bible says in verse 28 of Daniel chapter 4 that all this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. You know, sometimes folk want to take the the seven years of Daniel chapter 4 and they want to make it into some type of prophecy. But twice in Daniel chapter 4, God says all of this happened on who? Nebuchadnezzar. There's no prophecy here. There's a lesson here. Don't be proud. King Nebuchadnezzar, notice what happened. At the end of the 12 months, he was walking about the royal palace of Babylon. The king spoke saying, is not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my might, power, and for the honor of my majesty? Has he forgotten a little bit about the power and majesty of God? Yeah, how quick we are to forget. Last week, we talked a little bit about how how thick our, our heads are at times, and God has to do some real work on them to get through to us. The king spoke, is this not Babylon that I have built this great palace The honor of my majesty, while the word was still in king's mouth, a voice fell from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you. Verse 32 and 33. And they shall drive you from men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make you eat grass like oxen, and seven times or seven years shall pass over you, until you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men, and gives it to whomever he chooses." That very hour the word was fulfilled concerning Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from men and ate grass like oxen. His body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nail, nails like bird's claws. He was warned and then not too many months later in, pr- in pride, looking at all that surrounded him, thinking that it was all because of his power and his might, he is subjected to become like the beasts of the field. But certainly those seven years were a, was a chance for Nebuchadnezzar to come back to his senses, to his right mind. And certainly it did. Look at verse 40, 34. Does someone have verse 34? I was supposed to have someone read that, Mike. Can we come to Mike real quickly here? I need him to read this. Verse 34. 
God had to humble Nebuchadnezzar to teach him once and for all that it's God who rules in the kingdom of men. Nebuchadnezzar had been moved, he'd been impressed and convicted, and now he was becoming converted. Look at verse 34. Thanks, Mike. Daniel 4, verse 34. And at the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my understanding returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. Wonderful. So in, in Prophets and Kings, page 521, we're told that the once proud monarch had become a humble child of God. Was he changed? Was he converted? Certainly he was. The tyrannical, overbearing ruler became a wise and compassionate king. It took some time, didn't it? But finally God had his way in the life and heart of Nebuchadnezzar. It took time, but eventually the king was won over. Through all, through it all, Daniel and his friends remained steadfast and faithful to their allegiance to the God of heaven. They didn't waver, they didn't shake, they didn't shiver, they didn't falter, they didn't stumble. They just stood their ground and trusted that God was going to use them for his purposes, and he was. And it became evident in the life of King Nebuchadnezzar. Well, you would hope to think that the, uh, those that came after Nebuchadnezzar, especially his grandson, would have learnt from the experience of uh, Nebuchadnezzar when he was out there with the animals for seven years. But in Daniel chapter 5, we read the story of Belshazzar, verse 1 through 6. Belshazzar the king made a great feast for a thousand of his lords, drank wine in the presence of the thousands. When he tasted the wine, Belshazzar gave the command to him uh, to bring the gold and the silver vessels which the fa his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple, which had been in Jerusalem. And the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines, might drink from them. And as they were drinking, they, all, they brought them in, they drank from them, and as they brought them in, there was a handwriting, a, sl a, sleeve out of the, a hand out of the sleeve of darkness wrote upon the wall, many, many, tackle you fasten. Belshazzar didn't know what it meant. And so, so who did he call in? He called in the wise men. And then he realized, hang on a second, they're not going to be able to help me because they couldn't. And so he called in Daniel. Daniel was a man of renown. His uh, character went before him. And so he called him in. And Daniel gave this man a warning, pronounced judgment on Belshazzar, the stubborn grandson of Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon. Besieged by Cyrus, the nephew of Darius the Mede, Belshazzar wasted his final days in partying. That night he called for, the night he called for all the sacred vessels from Jerusalem's temple to be used in the defiance of the God of heaven, the curtain came down on Babylon that night. Babylon fell. Opportunities came to Belshazzar through the witness of God's faithful service, servant, but he spurned that witness and he spurned those opportunities. May we never be that like that. Amen? Always taking up God's opportunities. Well, God continues to use Daniel. We're going to go over to Tuesday's lesson. Daniel is in Persia. Daniel chapter 6. We won't spend too much time here. You know the story in Daniel. It was a transition of powers. Daniel was immediately seen as valuable to Darius the king. He was a Mede, and he was promoted in his realm. And it was an act that fueled the jealousy of, among the governors and the satraps. Some people ask the question, well, what are the satraps? They're the highest official positions over a division of the realm. So these men were, Daniel was promoted above them, and he was a foreigner, still in exile. So a new law was proposed 
to Darius by these men that no one should petition any god except the king in 30 days or else they'd be thrown into the, the lion's den. And uh, you know the story, the law flattered the king's pride and he immediately signed it, not taking into account the unintended consequences that it would have on Daniel. So Daniel chapter 6 and verse 10, after hearing the command, after hearing this strange new law being enacted, Daniel chapter 6 verse 10, notice what it says of Daniel. Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home. This is 60 years after he's been brought into captivity. He's in his 70s. When the Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home. And in his upper room, with his window open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down in prayer three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. Now here's a, the aged Daniel, seen a lot, been through a lot, been through upheavals, transition of powers. He could have said, you know what, God, I'm tired, I'm old, I've done it, I've been faithful to you, I think you would, you would forgive me and understand me, wouldn't you? If I, just, if I just didn't pray and open that window and get myself into trouble here. You'd understand that, wouldn't you, God? Ever said something like that before? Ever heard someone say something like that before? Making excuses for disobedience? Daniel said, no, no, no. In spite of the law, I'm going to go and I'm going to go pray, as his custom was. He was willing to give up his life than to, than to give up his hope in the help of his God. On page 543 of Prophets and Kings, we're told God did not prevent Daniel's enemies from casting him into the lion's den. He permitted evil angels and wicked men thus far to accomplish their purpose, but it was that he might make the deliverance of his servant more marked and the defeat of the enemies of truth and righteousness more complete. Surely the wrath of man shall praise thee, the psalmist said. The psalmist has testified, through the courage of this one man who chose to follow right rather than policy, Satan was to be defeated and the name of God was to be exalted and honored. God knew what he was doing. And so Daniel was thrown into the lion's den, but God sent the angel to shut the lion's mouth. We've got a couple of verses I want to look at talking about angels and the protection they give us. 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 17. Who's got that verse for us? 2 Kings chapter 6 and verse 17. Okay, right here. Jeanne has that. We'll come right to you in just a moment, Jeanne. I want to take a look at a few verses. In your witness and in your missionary endeavors for God, wherever you are, you have the companionship of angels. Did you know that? They'll speak a word in your ear. They'll whisper, telling you which way to walk, this way or that way. They'll beat back dark forces. They'll bring in heavenly streams of light. Psalm 37 verse 4, the angel of the Lord encamps around all those who fear him and delivers him. Psalm 91 verse 11, for he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways lest you dash your foot against the stone. As you follow God and you're obedient to God, the angels of God will guide you and direct you. Psalm 104, verse 4, He makes His angels, spirits, His ministers, a flame of fire. Keep that in mind as we read 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 17. Thanks, Jan. And the Word says, And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. The enemies, Syria, had come, come to take Elisha. They realized that God was sharing with him secrets about the king, king of Syria's plans ahead of time and would warn the king of Israel. And so they said, let's get rid of Elisha. So they came, surrounded the city. And Elisha's servant was fearful, afraid for his life. Elisha was witnessing for God. And he prayed that Elisha's servant's eyes would be open. And what did he see? Chariots of fire surrounding that city. Angels of God 
standing to protect two men of faith. At least one man of strong faith. The other one was struggling and learning faith, right? But there the angels were still protecting, guarding and protecting. You can be assured, assured that the, the heavenly angels will attend your steps as you, uh, as you minister for him and as you are missionaries for him where you find yourself. Well, uh, Darius was more than impressed. You can read that in Daniel chapter 6, verses 25 to 27. It's very likely that through the witness of Daniel and others that the decree to release the Jews in order that they could go home was made. There were pagan kings who had become acquainted with the will and purposes of God, the God of heaven, through God's faithful witnesses. And that's how God works all the time. He uses you and I where we find ourselves for His purpose and for His glory. Amen? Certainly. Daniel chapter 7. We're jumping over now. Daniel chapter 7. Don't really have time to look at it all in detail, but let's go to verses 13 and 14. Daniel is given a vision. He's given a dream, and he sees these beasts come up out of the sea, representing four kingdoms. He sees the last one that has ten horns, and then a little horn comes up among those ten horns, representing the, uh, the little horn power, the beast power of Revelation chapter 13. It's an amazing and incredible prophecy. Daniel 7 is a parallel of Daniel chapter 2. Those, those medals that Nebuchadnezzar saw in his dream on that great image parallel the beasts that Daniel saw in his vision in Daniel chapter 7. And so here we see God again foretelling, predicting what was going to come in the future. It's like, it's as if God is looking over, you know, you know if you want to go from point A to point D, B, you look over a map, you have your map, I know we use GPS now on our phones and so, but you know those old maps, Rand McNally maps, you have the map, look over the map and you can see where you are and where you need to go, right? God sees the future the same way as we look over a map. It's not, it's not as though He is demanding it happen that way, He just looks from His great eternity and He sees the path in front of Him. And he sees what's going to happen. And in these prophecies, God outlines these terrific, marvelous prophecies that, prophecies that if you are questioning the authority and questioning the, the, uh, the, uh, the faithfulness of God's Word should cause you to question no more. These prophecies are powerful and should rivet your faith in God's Word and the God of the Word. Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. Just like in Daniel chapter 2, notice what what it says, I was watching in the night vision and behold, one like the son of man coming with the clouds of heaven, he came to the ancient of days and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory, a kingdom that all peoples, nations, languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom, the one and his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. Powerful. So what do these words tell us about God's church taking the gospel to the world? They tell us an awful lot, don't they? God is saying that eventually He's going to establish His kingdom. Eventually, Jesus is going to establish His everlasting kingdom, but that will not happen until when? Won't happen until when? He returns. Matthew 24, 14 and 15. Thank you. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken by of Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. Wonderful. So Jesus links the prophecies of the end of uh, of the end from Matthew tw chapter twenty-four to the debt to the prophecies of Daniel. Jesus said the kingdom must go into all the world as a witness. Then the end will come. And then immediately he directs people to read which book of the Bible the book of Daniel, and he speaks of the abomination of desolation, which Daniel speaks about in Daniel chapter eleven thirty-one and Daniel chapter 12, 12, verse 11. 
So Jesus links the prophecies of the end in Matthew 24 to Daniel's prophecies. This isn't surprising seeing Daniel's prophecies point to the last day. Daniel's prophecies all direct us to this particular day and age. And he links the the abomination of desolation to the destruction of Jerusalem by the Romans in Jesus' day and also beyond. The point is that Jesus' kingdom won't come until the everlasting gospel is taken to the entire world. You can read Revelation chapter 14, verses 6 and 14. The gospel's got to go to the world, and then Jesus comes to reap the earth, you see, to reap his, his final harvest. We have a work to do, don't we? The gospel's got to go to every nook and cranny of this world. God wants, Jesus wants to return, and we have a responsibility to take the message to the entire world. Well, we're on Thursday's lesson, and just briefly will highlight here that the Bible speaks of others who are in exile, who are missionaries for God. We think of uh, not only Daniel, but we think of Joseph and Moses who lived in Egypt. We think of Nehemiah who lived in Babylon. We also think of Esther who lived in Persia. I want to read what the author of the lesson wrote. He said their lives, because he says it far better than I could, he says their lives reveal that it is possible to live faithfully to God in spiritually and culturally unsupportive environments. With God's direction, it was even possible to attain to prominent administrative positions in these alien settings. Each lived a creative and rich life, skillfully negotiating complex religious, social, political, and economic dynamics far different from those of their home culture. They not only were loyal members of exiled communities, they were also, in their own way, effective missionaries for the God of Israel. I like the way he put that. God was able to use them and bless them and benefit others and uh, be a witness of God to these, to these people in these places. The story, uh, you probably are familiar, back in 2007, the Washington Post uh, newspaper conducted an experiment. They arranged for Joshua Bell, one of the world's leading classical violinists, to play just outside a metro station in Washington, D.C. They wanted to gauge the reaction of the passing, uh, passing commuters. It was early in the morning, it was rush hour, and it was on a winter's day. So there he was, there was Joshua Bell holding his $3.5 million Stadivarius violin. He played six classical pieces in 30 minutes. What happened? During that time, seven people stopped to listen for a minute, but another 1,097 people walked by. People tossed change into his open violin case, totaling $32.17. To this, a world-famous genius who could earn $1,000 a minute playing in the great concert halls of the world. It may seem like, as Seventh-day Adventists, we're playing a tune that is outdated and that is unpopular, and it can be discouraging at times in the the world in which we live. We might be playing the most beautiful melody in the universe, and we are, and people are just walking by. But we are encouraged to keep playing and to not give up. Whether our setting is dominated by secularists or by another religion, as we adapt our methods, not our message, to reaching people with the everlasting gospel, we will continue by God's grace to see results. We'll continue to see by God's grace people aligning themselves with Jesus Christ and his last day message to a dying world. Keep the faith. Don't give up. Keep being missionaries for God wherever you find yourself and that God will bless you abundantly. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.